Let's have a word of prayer. God, I ask for your hand of blessing upon this message. And Lord, I thank you so much that right there, the center and the heart of all scripture, we find John 19, 30, it is finished. You did the work. You took upon yourself the sins of the world. You removed that. You died for sins so that we can have life. We had no righteousness of our own. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We rightly deserve the wrath of God, but you went to the cross. You followed the Father and what he had for you, dear Jesus, and you accomplished it all. It is finished. So I ask as we consider this scripture and all the supporting evidence from the word of God this morning that we would walk away thankful that we don't have to measure up because your son, Father, measured up on our behalf. And we rest in him this morning. We pray all this in the name of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Look at with me in John chapter 19, verse 30. I want to read that verse. That is the crux of the whole message this morning. And frankly, it's the crux of all of Christianity from the dawn of time to the future when the church will be resting in the presence of God forever. This is the crux of everything that the church can hang its hopes on, that you and I can hang our hope on. And that's right there in verse 30 of John chapter 19. And it says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You know, as a pastoral team, I wasn't able to be there. I had work obligations, but the pastoral team met many months ago and prayerfully considered the next steps of the pulpit ministry here for this year. And the Lord led the team to preach a series of messages called Life with Jesus or Conversations with Jesus from the Gospel of John. And this morning we are considering another critical juncture in the life of our Lord, another conversation of Jesus. And again, he is speaking to the Father and again speaking to every one of us in this statement, it is finished. This event in the life of Jesus serves as a crossroads for every human being. I say crossroads because people are either going to look at Jesus on his cross and be drawn to its beauty and magnificence, or they will follow the second path and be repulsed by the cross and turned away to their eternal sorrow. So last week's invitation remains true for today. It's not an invitation that you leave on Sunday in here in this building. You take it with you and you have to consider it every day of your life. The the invitation remains for you and me. Jesus as king who received his reign, his kingdom from the Father, continues to invite you to consider this statement in the midst of your noise and your chaos. Because life is busy. I guarantee you 100% that Caleb Sowers did not put that motorcycle crash on his calendar or that diagnosis that you're thinking about that was not something that you put on your calendar or that thing that your spouse revealed to you about what have finances or their walk with God or some 
statement that's just out, seems like it's out of left field, that was not on your calendar at all. Jesus invites you to bring all of that to him as the king of the universe. One of the things he's saying this morning is, it is finished. What I have accomplished on Calvary, it is finished. Make no mistake, friends, that the death of Christ was very horrific. The innocent son of God was put to death for crimes he did not commit. They were our crimes. They were our sins. And he took that upon himself. After Pilate, who was the Roman uh, leader who was tasked with trying to figure out if he could legally crucify Jesus, after he, in a sense, washed his hands of this responsibility, he pardoned Barabbas instead of Jesus. He turned our Lord over to be crucified, and he was immediately, Jesus was immediately whipped, flogged. And this flogging would have been enough to make a grown man pass out for pain and loss of blood. But Jesus somehow, perhaps under the power of God and the Holy Spirit, remained conscious. And Pilate's soldiers proceeded to fashion a crown of thorns on him, placed it on Jesus' head while clothing him with a purple robe. And as these soldiers slapped our Lord across the face, they mocked him in his title as King of the Jews. And then shortly after that, in verse 17, Jesus went out carrying his own cross. Humiliated, mocked, beaten. And then the soldiers proceeded to drive those nails into his hands, into the cross, that wooden cross. And they lifted up the Lord while he was on it into the air. And as I was doing my studies, many scholars believe that he hung there for three solid hours in excruciating pain. So as those three hours were drawing to a close, what did Jesus mean by it is finished? What is finished? What exactly did Jesus accomplish? Well, there are actually many biblical reasons for that. It would be impossible to cover them all. In fact, there are books that are actually written that that kind of put the number in the title. There's, There's one out there that says 50 reasons why Jesus came to die. There's many more, but I've only highlighted about three. I want to submit to you three massively important truths about what Jesus did while on the cross. This cry on the cross was not simply to announce that he was about to die, although that was true. There's something more behind it. There was a knowledge that Jesus had that he knew exactly what he was accomplishing There was a completion about what Jesus did. He followed the will of the Father. So this was not just an announcement that now I'm going to die. I'm physically going to give up my spirit. But all these accomplishments by our Lord have ramifications, results that you and I need to hear clearly this morning. And they're meant for our hope. They're meant for our encouragement. And and really, they're meant to keep us going from day to day. Because the devil would love to spread lies about what Jesus has done for you. He would love to cast doubt on it. He would love to tell you that it's not worth meditating on or considering. But here are the three points, okay? Stay stay with me. Jesus, number one, defeated death on the cross. Death. Jesus, number two, perfectly obeyed the Father 
And number three, Jesus absorbed God's wrath on the cross for, for me and for you. So point number one, Jesus defeated death on the cross. What does that mean for you personally? If you remember the book of Genesis back in the Garden of Eden, God told Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the garden, uh, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God was good to them by giving them work, companionship, his own presence. They lived in a perfect environment, but they only had one prohibition right there in Genesis chapter 2. It says, the Lord gave... The Lord God commanded Adam, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So from the scriptures, we understand that this death, if you read other parts of scripture, you, you read that it's, it's twofold. Mankind would experience a gradual physical decline and ultimately succumb to, to death but it was also a spiritual death. All of mankind would become spiritually dead because of what Adam had done. So then you have Satan who entered the garden. He spoke to the servant, uh, serpent and the evil one started spreading lies. And he convinced Adam that what God had said was not good. It wasn't right for him to put that prohibition out there. And here's the immense problem with that. Adam is our biological and spiritual father. There's no other humans on the planet other than Adam and Eve. And whatever happened to Adam happened to us all. Adam's decision to disobey God had lasting effects on every last one of us. The physical death that Adam experienced in that moment became ours, and the spiritual corruption that Adam experienced became ours. And separation from God became a reality that the whole human race would, would experience. Romans 5.12 paints a picture perfectly of what happened in that moment. Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men in that all sinned. We were all right there. It's kind of a hard truth to take in. But Adam was our representative head in that moment. And because he made that choice, the whole human race was there with him. It said, all men, all sinned. John 3.16, here's the beautiful part about it all. And what we celebrate this morning is that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That corruption, that death that spread across all men, God gave us his son, that whoever would look upon him, repent of their sins, and trust Christ for what he has done on the cross, the spiritual and physical corruption that was moved into the human race at that moment that would have no bearing on you whatsoever. God has defeated death on the cross. Spiritually dead people have no hope. Spiritually dead people continue to follow their own flesh. We, they continue to follow the world. They continue to follow and obey the evil one. They do this willfully. That's the whole point of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. That's a hopeless condition, all because way back in the garden, sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so dead people are very desperate for an answer. 
We cannot bring ourselves to life. They, we need someone to conquer death on our behalf and raise us from the dead. It's a big part of why we have passages that talk about Lazarus. It's an illustration of how once we sat in a tomb, once we sat in a place much like this and we heard the call of God and the gospel call and Jesus brought to our attention that we need him desperately. And we too repented of our sins and trusted Christ, but it was God who brought us out of our spiritual tomb. And that's the hope that we have. When Jesus is hanging on that cross, he says, it is finished. I have defeated death so that you wouldn't have to live your life trying to. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he what? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved through faith. There's a lot of words in that sentence. I love, I love them all. But look at some of these words. He loved us. I love that word mercy. Mercy is that type of love where God sees a very desperate person like you and me. He's moved with compassion, and he does something about it. And he did it on the cross. It is finished. Death has been defeated. Not only that, by, by gracious act of God, you have been saved through faith, and that makes you alive. You are no longer a person that has to follow the world. You're no longer a person that has to follow the flesh. You're no longer a person that has to follow the devil. Read Romans 6. Those powers have no more hold over you. By the Holy Spirit, you can tell that sin, that thing that continues to pester you day in, day out, week in and week out, you could say, no, I have a new master, and it's Jesus. It is finished. He hung on that cross for me. He bought me back. He has made me alive. I am no longer dead, and it's not because I raised myself from the dead. He made me alive. So number one, Jesus defeated death on the cross. Point number two, Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father to the very end. Now, this aspect of the work of Jesus on the cross, it really would serve to comfort us more if we meditated on it day in and day out. You know, I want my hospice patients that know Christ, I want them to know this one too. I want them to know this one big time. Because when you're laying in bed and you, you can't get out and, and you just, you, that's your reality. You're in a room, you're there alone by yourself many hours unless somebody comes in and sits at bedside. The devil has a lot of time with you to cast doubt, to make you doubt your faith. And what I want a person like that and a person like you and me to know is that Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father so that he could give you his righteousness. He could clothe you with a righteousness that was not your own. And that is a righteousness that the, the evil one cannot penetrate. It might feel like it, but he cannot. And when God the Father looks down on a child of God who is, who again, has repented and trusted in Christ, 
That child of God is clothed in a righteousness that is not his own. And that righteousness is what allows that person, after they take their final breath, to stand in the presence of a holy God accepted. And it's something that Jesus accomplished on the cross. It is finished. The the devil loves to cast doubt on this, this reality. But when Jesus saves you, he clothes you in his righteousness. He transfers his perfect obedience to your account. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I went back and looked at my notes, and I I noticed that this makes it into every sermon. And, And I don't know what that means. Maybe I need it more than anybody else. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, God the Father made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that the purpose being in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So when Christ saves us, we, our position becomes in Christ. We are identified with Christ and in Christ in every conceivable fashion. So when the father looks at us, he sees his son and it says we might become the righteousness of God. The father no longer sees all of our corruption, all of our foolish mistakes and our sin, the Father sees what his Son has done for you and for me. And he says, Chase, you are accepted because of what my Son has done. Maybe that's why it makes it into every sermon. I need to hear that. But your objection might be, yeah, I believe that, but I know myself. I know that I can't possibly remember all of my wrongs. You, you don't know how wicked I've been. Of course, I know Christ is my Savior, but you don't know me. And you're right, I don't. I, I do know that you and I are cut from the same cloth and made from the same clay as everybody else, and we all have that fight to stay faithful. We all fight to stay faithful. But let's look at a text of Scripture. There are some people that point to this, and it just grips them with fear. It's Matthew 7. People wonder, maybe on the, the day of judgment, I will stand before a holy God, and he will tell me, depart from me, I never knew you. Surely you've thought about that one, right? You've thought about that one before? But look at what Matthew seven twenty two says. You don't have to turn there. I want to just tell you what these sorts of people were bringing to the table before the judgment seat. Matthew seven twenty two. these people says, they say, Lord, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do mighty works? The answer, my friends, is no, no, you and I didn't do mighty works. Jesus did. He said, it is finished. He's the one who accomplished it. So let's, let's just think about this for a second. You have people on the day of judgment in front of the Lord saying, I've done works, will you let me in? And the answer will always be no. Why? Because God the Father will always honor the Son's righteousness that he gives you and me. It's not about what we bring to the table. It's not about our works. In that moment, if it's anything less than you and I falling headlong on our face saying, unless Jesus covers me, I am toast. It is finished. If it's anything other than that, we are in deep, 
deep trouble. Philippians 3.9, listen to what Paul says in relation to what can be done and what is done. Okay? Philippians 3.9, he says, I don't have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That's a, that's a Jewish man speaking who was raised in a Jewish culture, learned the law, grew up knowing the Old Testament, the scriptures, and he says, I'm, I'm not relying on any of that. I don't have a righteousness that comes out of obeying that. He goes on to the say, right after the comma there, he's, the, there's a word, the conjunction, the, the but, he says, my righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. At the moment of conversion, Jesus clothes you and me in his righteousness. That is how we can stand before a holy God in the presence of the holy God for all eternity. Not because of what we've done, not for anything that we can bring to the table, but because of what Jesus has done. It is finished. So number one, Jesus defeated death on the cross. Number two, Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father even unto death. And number three, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God for you and for me. Now, John 18, verses 31 through 32, we kind of touched on this last week in the conversation with Pilate and Jesus. And Pilate pivots away from addressing Jesus and addresses the crowd that's waiting with bated breath as to the verdict of what was going on in that room. Pilate says, listen, take him yourselves and judge him yourselves by your own law, and the Jewish people replied, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This, is, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken, to show by what death he was going to die. Jesus was not ignorant that it was going to be a death by crucifixion. He's not ignorant of the scriptures. Our Lord was a Jewish man who also grew up learning the law and the prophets, the Psalms, the wisdom literature, not to mention that he was the Word of God incarnate. As a Jewish man, he would be brought up hearing and learning all of this. He knew the Word of God better than anyone. So when he says crucifixion, it, you know, it, it, the Jewish people that would hear that, or at least his disciples, would probably be scratching their heads. How is, how is that possible? Because there's a, there's a verse that would likely uh, raise a red flag. And Jesus was very clear, Matthew 20, 19, I will be delivered over to be crucified. So imagine hearing this. If you know, there's a few verses in the book of Deuteronomy that say uh, some things that would be troubling, perhaps, to the disciples. They said, let, the disciples might have answered it this way. Let, let me get this straight. You're going to be crucified, but according to Moses in Deuteronomy, doesn't that make you accursed? of God? How, how can you save us if you are accursed? Wouldn't that make you just like us? And I can imagine Jesus' response going something like what Paul expressed to the church in Galatia. Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It had to be this way. The law 
brings you and I under a curse because you and I cannot, under any circumstance, keep all of the law, hardly any one of it. It's just, it's all condemning. The book of James tells us if we offend in one point, we are guilty of it all. But here in the Galatian letter, Paul reminds us that Jesus became a curse for you and for me. And it was to redeem us, to buy us back. And so what the Jewish people are seeing, we've got to put Jesus on a cross. If we can get Jesus on that cross, we can start propagating the, 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 the truth that, see, you don't need to follow Jesus. He hung on a tree, and according to the prophet Moses, that means that man is accursed. But Jesus did bear the curse for us. It was part of the plan. He bore the curse that was rightfully due to you and to me so that he can redeem you and I. And it goes a step further. The, the wrath of God was poured out on Christ. Our sins laid upon his shoulder. Jesus had to take it. God the Father had to be just by placing our sins on him. Romans 3.25 God the Father put Christ forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Jesus was the wrath absorber that covered me and covered you. In 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we have love for God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He took the curse. He took God's wrath for sin on himself. My friends, it is finished. If you have repented of your sins and trusted Christ, God has defeated death. God has clothed you in his righteousness. He has defeated wrath. And he has absorbed that curse. All of that was rightfully due to us. And what should be incredibly comforting to us as we uh, move about our days and thinking about this and meditating on it is finished, the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all in complete agreement on this from the foundation of the world. The Father loves the world and sent the Son. The Son loves the Father and humbled himself to die for the sins of the world. And the Spirit of God says, I will open sinners' eyes to the beauty of Jesus. I will convict people of sin. I will wash them clean, and I will make them zealous for good works. But for this plan of salvation to occur, to occur Jesus had to go to the cross. Jesus and the Father and the Son, the whole grand plan of salvation, could not take place unless sins were dealt with on the cross. So the Son of God says, I will go. I will finish the job. I will absorb God's wrath for Chase's sins. I will take upon that curse that's rightly due to Chase. I will set Chase free. It is finished. Oh, I love um, Chris Anderson's hymn. It's called His Robes for Mine. And we sing it here all the time. The lyrics are, His robes for mine, a wonderful exchange. Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered neath God's rage. 
I'm draped in his righteousness. I'm justified in Christ I live, for in my place he died. I cling to Christ and marvel at the cost. Jesus forsaken, God estranged from God, bought by such love. My life is not my own. My praise, my all, shall be for Christ alone. So those are the three points that I have for you this morning. And in conclusion, I want to just share with you perhaps the most amazing thing about this whole deal is that Jesus went to the cross and as he shouted, it was finished. He did this when we wanted nothing to do with him. Nothing. We are exactly like Pilate when he was questioning Jesus. We were trying to ask Jesus all the questions. You'll listen to me. I've got a job to do. I'm the one who has the power. Remember that where he, you know, Pilate tried to threaten Jesus? Don't you know I have the power to crucify you and to destroy you? And Jesus just very calmly looked at him and said, you would have no power at all if it were not given to you from above. We were just like Pilate, just trying to get through the task, just trying to get through our job. In the back of our mind, we, we know all that's going on in our family all those complicated dynamics. You remember Pilate's wife had a bad dream and told him, do not have anything to do with that man. You got the Jewish crowds breathing down his neck, the Roman government telling him, you better not mess this up. And at the end of it all, Jesus says, if those who listen to my voice are of the truth, or in other words, if you listen to me and follow me, you're one of mine. But Pilate said, I'll I'll have nothing to do with that. What is truth? And he washes his hands and walks away. But my friends, this is not about Pilate. This is about Jesus. Not even Pilate or the Jewish people or the Roman government could stand in his way from accomplishing all that the Father had for him. It is finished. And he did that all knowing that you and I wanted nothing to do with him. And if you think I'm pulling that out of thin air, just listen to how the Bible describes me and you. Romans 5, 6, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So two words there, weak, that means spiritually dead. You and I had nothing spiritually of any value or merit to bring to the table, nothing. Paul says we were ungodly. Not only did we have nothing to bring to the table, we were godless, hated God. We wanted anything else but him. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 10. For if we were, for, excuse me, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So according to the Bible, when Jesus was laser-focused on accomplishing the goal of dying for sins, for the sins of the world, here you and I are, weak, ungodly, sinners, and his enemies. But thank God the story doesn't have to end there. Thank goodness that 
Jesus says, come unto me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, not just any rest. The text says, I will give you rest for your very souls. Does that mean all your problems are going to go away? Does that mean all of life's tasks for Monday are just going to fall right into place and, you know, my bank account's just going to start soaring and my kids are going to start doing what I tell them to do on a regular basis and that relationship that just drives a wedge between me and the other person is just going to, it's just going to unfold. It's going to be just nice. No, but I will tell you what it does mean. Again, if you've come to faith in Christ, what it means is that you can have a relationship with the God of the universe who says, come, let's talk. I will be your God and you will be one of my people. It is finished. So let's be thankful today that if we have repented and trusted in Christ of our sins, that we don't have to strive to measure up. Jesus did. He absorbed the wrath of God for us. He's the one who clothed us in his righteousness. And let us praise his name for all of these wonderful gifts that he has given us. And let us get to work and tell others that it is finished. Let's pray. God in heaven, I thank you so much that you, I'll just make it deeply personal, Lord. I, I'm so thankful that even in my wretchedness, my being in your enemy, being spiritually weak, spiritually dead, I wanted nothing to do with you. I could think of many different situations in my own life where you would have been in your right to not pursue me. But I'm so thankful you pursued me, that you didn't give up on me. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would continue to pursue us. For those that don't know Christ as Savior, pursue them, Lord. Pursue them by your Spirit. And for those of us that are struggling today to make sense of what we're experiencing. God, pursue us. Remind us that you have destroyed and conquered all of our greatest enemies, whether it's the devil, whether it's sin, whether it's hell, our flesh. You've conquered them all. Why wouldn't you also triumphantly carry us through everything we face in the coming days and moments ahead? And so we give you praise. I want to sing one last song before you now.